Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I hope that music indicates to you that it is time for Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and we are going to have a a, a rousing two-hour of Guy Talk today, which frankly excites me because I I love this part of the week, and I I love hanging with my friends, and I love talking about Scripture and uh, anything related to Jesus and the Bible. And Pastor Tom Parrish and Jeff Verdorn are my power panel today. Which means uh, the best way to get me questions today is email them to me, bill at myfaithradio.com. Bill at myfaithradio.com. So any question you have, uh, maybe there's been one that's been sitting in your brain for a while, get it out. Let's do it. Let's handle it today. We got plenty of time to take your questions. And Jeff and Tom, welcome once again back to the show. Always fun to be here, Bill. It's a most, most wonderful time of the week. Good yeah. afternoon, Bill. Yeah, and Tom, you were just saying never once in in the years you've done this have you ever been bored. Not a bit. No, I'm always excited <laughs> and ready to go. I feel the same way. Yeah. And Jeff, you said the same thing. Well, I I thought the same thing. I don't know if I actually said it, but... Uh, you did say the same it's thing. Not, did I say it? I we don't read did. minds, but we picked oh. it up. Uh, that, did, that was out loud then. It was out loud. Yeah, yeah. I have trouble with that. I mean, it is the most uh, exciting thing in my opinion, to do is talk about God's Word. That's one of my highlights of the week. This is all I got. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that's all I got. All right, let's jump into some questions as I await for my first question from uh, anyone who wants to email me, bill at myfaithradio.com, and I'll I'll, uh, ask your your question, get it on the air. But uh, let's start with this, gentlemen. Uh, Does the believer have two natures? Does the believer have two natures? This is a very good question. There are Theologically, the the idea is, do we have two natures, an old nature and a new nature, or do we just have one new nature? Now, depending on your version of the Bible, um, if you are commonly read the NIV, the NIV translated a Greek word that, uh, that's sarx, S-A-R-X, as the sinful nature. Now, the new NIV has actually changed that, and now translate Sarks as the flesh, all right? So, but because the NIV was out for a long time and it used, it translated that word as sinful nature, many Christians have come to the conclusion, well, we have an old nature, our old self, and we have a new nature. We're, we're created in Christ, Second Corinthians 5, 17, we're a new creation, uh, created in Christ Jesus and all that. We're born again, we have a new nature. I think the proper interpretation, I think the NIV, the most recent version, got it right. That it, That's really the flesh. We have one new nature in Christ. Scripture declares that our old self has actually been crucified. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The picture that I teach in my classes is that our old fleshly nature has been crucified. It's been put off, and we have one new nature in Christ Jesus. I love the concept. I think it's biblically accurate. Let me push a little bit further. Then why do Christians sin? That is the big question I think a lot of us have. Why do we then sin if we're in this new nature? 
I think one of the things you don't understand about the new nature is it's not an automatic thing in the sense that it just takes over and we can't do anything but good things. But now in the new nature, we have choices to make, whether we're going to serve Jesus or whether we're going to serve ourselves. Under our old nature, we didn't have that choice. All that mattered was me or mine and what I get. Now I get that choice. And the challenge of maturing in Christ, and that's what discipleship is, the challenge is to keep going back to Jesus and giving over to him our hearts and minds and attitudes so that we become more and more like him. And I think we've all met men and women who have walked with the Lord a long time, and you see that in them. You see them walking with the Lord. They're not perfect in the sense of they never do anything wrong, but they don't justify it either. They immediately deal with it and give it over to the Lord. And we don't lose our free will in this new nature, right? So though we've been made new, we have a tendency to live like we used to live when we are still in that sinful nature or under that flesh. So Romans 6, I think, describes what you were just talking about, Tom, so well. It says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, Mm -hmm. whether you are a slave to sin, which leads to death, or or obedient, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God, though you used to be slaves to sin, that's your old self, right? You have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that you has now claimed your allegiance. You are now a slave to To righteousness, verse 18 says. So that's our new nature. We now are capable of living out this holy and righteous life that God has called us to live because of our new nature. We're no longer slaves to sin. I'm blessed because uh, my wife, Jan, uh, has learned to talk up to me. I mean, she just speaks right up and says whatever's on her heart at the time. I remember one night I was melancholy because of a meeting we had had at church and some problems with people and things like that. And I said... I don't understand why the Lord has given us free will. This is ridiculous because people make bad choices. And she said, Tom, you should be thankful because you couldn't even ask that question if you didn't have free will. And you know what hit me so hard? And she's absolutely right. And so there's a joy in it, and there is a danger in it. The danger is looking to ourselves. The joy is looking to Jesus. Hmm. I'm looking at 1 Corinthians 4.4 as we have this conversation, and it says, My conscience is clear that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Yeah, so the, you know, Tom's question, why do we still sin even though we've been made righteous? I think the idea of pulling in at this point an understanding of body, soul, and spirit, that we are a three-part being. We are made in the image of God, by the way, who is a three-part being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. We are body, soul, and spirit. So the idea that we've been made new, that we've been born again, that we've been made righteous and holy and blameless is a spiritual reality. We, however, make our decisions. Our free will is in our soul. In the Greek, it's the suke. It's where we get the word psychology. That's our mind, our will, emotions, our memories, all the things that make us us, right, as a person. C.S. Lewis once said, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. Right. You have a body. So it's our soul where we make decisions. Now we can listen to the spirit, our spirit that's united with God, or we can get distracted by the world, but that's a decision that we have to make in our soul. James says it this way, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. The heart is the soul. That's where we make our decisions on what we're going to choose to live like today. 
And that's where Jesus says, look, out of the heart of man comes murder, theft, adultery, and all those things. And what does Jesus want us to do? But to give him our hearts. We literally give over so that his thoughts become our thoughts, his behavior becomes our behavior, because he now dwells within us. Now, I've been walking with the Lord, like many of you, for a long time. Does that mean I always obey the Lord? I wish I could say yes, but I don't. There are times I just get self-willed, I get tired, and I get stupid. Fortunately, Jesus is incredibly patient with me, and he keeps calling me back. And the goal of the Christian life is that every day we renew again our relationship with Jesus. We live for him, and at the end of the day, we thank him for that day, offer up to him anything we have to that was out of line with what he wanted, and renew ourselves saying, tomorrow I will do better because you live in me, Lord. So you have been declared innocent, right? Back to mm-hmm. the Corinthians passage. Yep. We are innocent before God. We, our sins have been washed away. We've been washed clean. Christ has paid the price. Peter describes the, the, that price as the precious blood of Christ. You know, though our sins be like scarlet, right, they'll be made white as snow. We've been made white as snow. We've been declared innocent. So that's who we are in Christ Jesus, and that's a spiritual reality. Now God calls us to live out that identity, and we don't always do that great. So that's why you you have this passage where it says, love the Lord your God, Tom, you were just talking about this, with all your heart, soul, and mind. I believe those are all three the same thing. That's mm-hmm. our soul, where we make decisions, where we have our thoughts, where we decide, where we choose who we're going to follow. So God's saying, with all of your soul, with all of your soul, with all of your soul, love me, follow me. Let me say something that's probably going to be hard for people to hear. I run into too many Christians now who say, I don't need to go to church anymore. I have this relationship with Jesus. I don't need the church because anyway, it's filled with hypocrites and there are lots of problems and things there. Okay, I haven't gotten that memo from Jesus where he (laughs) says skip the church. But what I do know is this, that my walk in Jesus is no better than my honesty with you guys my willingness to be held accountable, my willingness to look to the Word, my willingness to repent when I need to. And that's what the church is for. The church isn't—I get bothered as a pastor. Most people seem to think the church is for worship and giving money. Well, it's much, much more than that. It is the fellowship of the body of Jesus Christ where we are there to care for one another, listen to one another, challenge one another, chastise at times one another. But we do it out of love so that we grow up. So I don't believe that abandoning the church or one another is the solution to walking with Jesus and be, having a better life. The solution is in recognizing that Jesus is going to work through you guys uh, and speak to me And I've got to listen to that as well as you speak through the Word. Yeah, Lone Ranger Christianity can can be dangerous, right? I mean, that's why God says a cord of three strands is not easily broken. We are to not give up the fellowship of the saints. We are stronger together. Um, And uh, that's evident both in his church and the local expression of the church. But even if if you just have a group of other believers that you meet with on a weekly basis, a regular basis— to study the word, um, that is church. You're doing church, by the way. Yeah. And and the old adage, if you if you ever find a perfect church, the old joke goes, don't join it because you're going to ruin it, right? Mm. Yeah. You know, there is no perfect church. So find a church that's right for you. Meet with other believers. You're stronger that way. Once I came to understand this, I eliminated two words from my life. Hi-oh, silver. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, plenty of guy talk ahead, or guys who talk. Let me know what your questions are. The best way to get them to me today is to email me, bill at myfaithradio.com, bill at myfaithradio.com. Of course, your questions can always be anonymous. If you like, just send them over, and I will be right back. If you've got a real hard question, I'll let uh, Tom or Jeff answer that. If there's an easy question comes in, I might take a swing at it. Bill at myfaithradio.com. Be right back with lots more God Talk. Listen to Faith Radio Live or on demand no matter where you go. Download the free Faith Radio app in your app store today. One of the best parts of my day is spending it with you. And I'm glad that we've got a couple hours to do Guy Talk today. So let me know what questions you have. The best way to get questions over to me today is to email them, bill at myfaithradio.com, bill at myfaithradio.com. I'm here with Pastor Tom Parrish and Jeff Verdorn. So my question I have now is this, is Noah was Noah's Ark a picture of the eternal security of a true believer? Noah's Ark. Was that a picture of the eternal security of a true believer? I'm not sure you can do that biblically to tie the two together, but you can certainly do it, you know, more in a metaphorical way because, yes, the Ark saved eight people and the Lord rescued them just as Jesus came and died on the cross to rescue all who he came to rescue us all, but it's only those who believe in him or those who got on the ark. I could see where you could go with that, and you could make that parallel, but I don't know of any direct connections. Jeff, do you? Well, I think the the only direct connection to, if you will, salvation in Noah's ark is um, in Luke, I'm finding here, it says, and just as in yeah. the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man, they were eating and they were drinking and they were marrying and they were being given in marriage right up until the day that Noah entered the ark and then the flood came and destroyed them all. And so in in context, he's talking about the end time. So just as in the coming of the son of man is going to be like the days of Noah. Well, in the days of Noah, Noah and his family entered the ark, God shuts the door and then destruction comes upon them. Right. Interestingly, we have a very similar picture in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 4, John is on the island of Patmos. He hears a voice that sounds like an angel that says, come up here. And it says he sees a door in heaven. And he goes through this door and now he's up in heaven. And he then begins to see through visions all of the revelations that are going to take place during this time of tribulation that's coming upon the world. I believe that's symbolic of the rapture of the church. The rapture, 1 Thessalonians 4, says that uh, when the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God um, comes, then the dead in Christ will rise first and everybody else will be caught up together with them in the clouds. That is a very, very similar picture. And so what's the picture? Destruction is coming, but believers, or Noah, go through the door uh, raptured the door of heaven. And by the way, who's the door of heaven? That's none other than Jesus himself. He says, I am the door and I am the gate to my sheep. So you enter through Christ, which is salvation, and then destruction comes upon the world. So there's, there's a picture there. 
But the specific question had to do with our eternal security. And I don't know that that picture relates to our security in Christ, even though it may relate to the rapture of the church. All right. Well done, gentlemen. Here's another question in Romans 8, 38. That's a passage we all Mm -hmm. love. And it starts for, I am persuaded or I am convinced. What does it mean to be persuaded, totally convinced? What does that mean? Well, you guys I mean, need to I'm, speak get, without I'm thinking. getting there. For I'm convinced. It's it's yeah. the idea <laughs> is I understand it. I'm I'm fully persuaded. What I does am, that mean? I've bought into it. I know this to be true. I'm fully convinced. What's more interesting is what Paul is convinced of, and that's what comes next. So let's let's define it by what comes next. Paul knows that that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor the present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, oh my goodness, here's an eternal security or assurance of salvation Mm -hmm. passage, will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Mm. Paul is fully persuaded that once you are saved, there is now nothing in creation that can separate you from Christ. That includes us, by the way. We are also in creation. So is everything else, by the way. The only thing that's not in creation is God. And he says, I'm going to hold you in my hand and nothing can take you out of my hand. Therefore, nothing can separate you from Christ once you are a a believer. What I like about this passage is it really relates to my 45 years of Christian counseling. Because most Christians that come in for counseling, and even non-Christians, the focus isn't where it needs to be. Have I been good enough? You know, are my sins really forgiven? You know, do I need to do this or that? And my attitude is simply this, and I've tried to help people understand this. If you keep your focus on Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord, who died and rose for you, that's it. That's what you need to have the assurance. Assurance is based on the person of Jesus. It's not based upon how much I feel it inside or how much I want it. It's based on who he is and what he has said. So I tell people, keep your focus on Jesus, and you have total assurance, and you will meet him face-to-face one day. You know, there's a lot of passages that pick up on that, Tom. It's, it's we are secure in our salvation and assured not because we do something, but because God has promised it. And so if you survey the the entirety of the New Testament, you come up with passages, for example, like God, your salvation is kept in heaven for you, shielded by God's power until that day. In other words, he is the one that keeps the the Christian saved. And therefore, we can have true assurance. Assurance meaning I can know that I know that I know that I will go to heaven when I die. So uh, so First John ends in chapter 5, for example, I write these things to those who believe that you may no. know that you have eternal life. You can know that you know that you know. All right, can I go down a little bit of a rabbit trail on this verse with you guys? Sure. Why not? You agree? All right. So I'm just looking at the way um, the Holy Spirit inspired Paul uh, to write this, and he started with death instead of life. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life. Wouldn't wouldn't we normally go life nor death? And is there something about death being an easy way out? Is there something about this statement that would say to people who have suffered the loss of a suicide, perhaps, that 
not even death is you know, going to separate you. Yeah, the, there are some Christian uh, faiths or traditions or denominations that believe that if uh, if a believer committed suicide, that would somehow disqualify right. them from going to heaven. Uh, scripture declares that's not true because we're saved by faith uh, alone. Um, there are there are you know that fear the greatest fear of mankind is death, right? Even the Thessalonians were wondering about well, what about the dead in Christ? And so First Thessalonians four, Paul comes back and answers their question basically about the resurrection. We see it also in First Corinthians fifteen when Paul is talking about the glorification of the body. The dead will be raised; they will receive their glorified bodies. And Jesus Himself says, "I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though." they die. The world says, once you're dead, you're dead. Mm-hmm. God has, has a different story. Once you're dead, you're not dead. You are going to face a judgment. You are either going to face a believer's judgment and eternal life for the righteous or fearful expectation of the judgment of God for those who are lost. It's interesting because as a writer, and I love to write, and I'm looking at this, the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this. He's using what I call power statements here. When he contrasts death and life, people are terrified of death. And people will do anything to have life. So those are power issues on each side. We will go one direction or the other trying to get it so badly. You know, angels nor rulers. What in the world do rulers have to do with angels? You know, we're two different realms here. And yet, in Paul's thinking and in our thinking, if we think it through, who has more power than our government officials or are the, the people who have the money that control things? And on the other hand, in the spiritual realm, we know the angels have power. So it's that contrast that we're seeing here. And he's saying, and he could have gone on for probably 10 pages with contrast. The point is simple. Nothing is the key word. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And that's the good news. Yeah, that nothing is the key, I think. Yeah. All right, gentlemen, uh, we're going to take a break here pretty quick, but uh, a lot of great questions are coming in. And I encourage you today, because we've got a little extra time with Guide Talk, to send your questions over. And the best way to reach them uh, today is by emailing them. I'm sorry, that's the old-fashioned way. But you can send them to bill at myfaithradio.com. Bill at myfaithradio.com. Now, if you have never... uh, gone online and and downloaded the app and you have taken advantage of listening to the shows on the podcast, I'd like to encourage you to give that a try because uh, you'd be amazed how convenient it is. And if you can't listen to the show during the time that you like, you can just zip over to the website or the app and go to myfaithradio.com or or open your app and you can go right to the show page. Maybe you missed Susie Larson today or you missed Carmen this morning or or uh, Chuck Swindoll, or David Jeremiah, and you just thought, you know, I can listen to that right now. You can do that. Just make sure you have the app on your phone. It's really quite nice. Uh, so we're going to take a break, and we come back, lots more Guide Talk. Jeff Verdorn, Pastor Tom Parrish, are my power panel today. And uh, again, send the questions over via email today, bill at myfaithradio.com. We'll be right back.
It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time, let's get it started. Jump in your car, what's for dinner? It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Hello and welcome. So glad that you uh, have joined me today and I hope your day has been going swimmingly. And it is the first day of June, so it's uh, time for official summer talk. So there you go. Do you guys open your barbecues yet? Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, they're Definitely. up and rolling. Yeah. yeah. And what's the last thing you grilled on your barbecue? Last thing grilled on barbecue was uh, chicken wings. A whole bunch of chicken <laughs> wings. My son loves to do that. He's good at that. So we let him just barbecue away. Yeah. What about you, Jeff? I always overcook everything, so I let my son do the barbecuing. Yeah. He's really what good. What was the last him. thing you put on the grill? Uh, steak, I believe. Yum. Yeah, a big tenderloin. No, know? we, we have that once in a while, Bill. Uh, I mean, I every once in a while, I see a picture of them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's a question that came in. Uh, I understand that in heaven, we will not be sad as we are in the presence of the Lord. But I was wondering how we will have no mourning or crying or pain if when we get there, we have unsaved loved ones in hell. He's probably referring to a passage in Revelation where it says that he will wipe every tear from our eyes. Some will say well, there's no crying in heaven. Well, the fact that he's wiping away our tears uh, presupposes that we've been sad and crying over something. And what we are crying over is exactly what the, the, the question uh, alludes to. It comes right after the great white throne judgment when all of the lost are brought before God— their names are not found in the Lamb's Book of Life, and they are thrown into the lake of fire, and the lake of fire is the second death. And then just a couple of verses later, that's when God says that he wipes away every tear from our eye. That is going to be a very sad day. It's, it's sad for us, but remember, it's going to be sad for God. Do you think God wants most of mankind going through the broad road and the broad wide gate to destruction? No, he wishes none should perish. So God's heart is going to break that day. I think our hearts are going to break on that day, but the God of all comfort is going to comfort us with his comfort that only he can give, and he's going to wipe every tear from our eye. Now, for all of eternity, I think we will understand fully. I mean, on this side of glory, this is all I've got on this question. We will fully understand it couldn't be any other way, mm -hmm. that he had to take care of the unrighteous because when he makes the new heaven and new earth, nothing unrighteous can enter into it. And so he had to have a, a plan, if you will, so that only the righteous would enter in to eternity. And I think we will fully understand that it had to be that way. I want to answer this question, but I want to start with a passage I don't think we spend enough time on. John 17, 3. Jesus says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus, the Christ or the Messiah, whom you have sent. Jesus' predominant picture of eternity is a living relationship. Mm. And when you're in that living relationship with the Lord, I think everything else fades away. Not that you don't care about family or whatever, but it has no bearing any longer because you are now in the perfect relationship you were intended to be in from the beginning of time, but we've never had. And our relationships here are at best up and down. 
You know, some days they're good, some days they're not as good as they ought to be. But in eternity, we'll be with the Lord. And I think apart from being with Jesus, I don't think we're going to be too concerned about anything else. So Paul says in Corinthians that now we see dimly as if in a mirror, right? That's a first century mirror, by the way. And But one day we will know fully because we will see him face to face. So we will have a, a much better understanding of God's perfect justice, his perfect and holy righteousness, and that his judgments are pure and good. And I, while I think the day will be sad, that judgment day will be sad, and I think God's heart will break and our hearts will break, I think for eternity we'll understand what you just talked about, and we will be with the Lord. That's all that matters ultimately. Uh, and so I'm putting, when I preach and teach, I put all my confidence in what Jesus has said there, and I tell people, look, I've lost loved ones. I have family members that I don't know if they're in heaven or hell or not. But when I get to eternity and be with Jesus, that's all that's going to matter, and I will be happy. And he will have done the right thing. Always. I can trust him totally. Mm -hmm. All right, gentlemen, uh, nice job, good work. All right, here's another question. In the New Testament, notably in Paul's writings— how do you discern between what commands are specific to the culture of the day and what is applicable now? I think specifically of the verse that say women must be quiet and cover their heads in churches. In today's culture, though, perspective on women's roles vary greatly in churches. Nobody still thinks women's heads should be covered. Yeah, we've had the woman question in the church and, and that role uh, a number of times on Guide Talk, this is theologically generally complementarianism versus egalitarianism. Are we equal in Christ? Yes. Then does God have different roles for women in the church? Uh, so that's basically the the core question. Um, and really, I don't know that there's any other issue where someone would argue that's a cultural statement um, that's only applicable to the culture of the day and not applicable to today, other than this issue right now. I mean, because that's really the heart of this question. Was mm-hmm. that a cultural comment that Paul was making, or is it good? Is it, does it ascribe to the church for all all ages? So um, this is the one kind of question at the heart of, it, was Paul talking culturally, or was this a command to be followed by all ages? Obviously, the church isn't following this command, because you can go to evangelical churches or any kind of churches all over the country and around the world, for that matter, and see women not wearing head coverings in church. And adornment. And adornment. Yeah. And they have that, and and so on. So uh, the church has basically decided uh, that in in as the default, that was a cultural statement of the day about specifically relating to head coverings. One of the problems we have with the New Testament is that Paul is writing to churches who have also been writing to him. Questions are being asked. And so we don't always get the question, but we do get the answer. And I always would like to have the question as well. Mm -hmm. Specifically, Paul, what did you mean by that? Now, do I take seriously what Paul says? Absolutely. I don't want to violate it. I want to do what he says. But on the other hand, I have to be cautious with myself between my own personal biases of the way I think the church ought to be run and what the scriptures are saying. And the thing that is always, I remember one professor saying this, uh, made an interesting point. He said, for the guy who said just that, Paul, why does he always refer to uh, Priscilla and Aquila and the church in their home when you would never refer to the woman first? You'd always refer to the man as the leader. Why did he do that? He said, I think we're missing something. He said, I'm not going to make a doctrine. I'm not going to tell you what to do. But he said, there's stuff here we don't fully understand. And I want to understand it just like you guys and do the right thing. You have 
a lot of women who did a lot of ministry in the New Testament and even today. So uh, that is is not a cultural issue. I think the fact that any person, man or woman, uh, has the is a minister of reconciliation and sure. should practice that ministry of reconciliation. Authority in the church, however, that's a different question. I don't want to bring that up, but but ministry itself uh, is for both men and women. We're all made ministers of reconciliation. Let me just point one more thing out because it's interesting, uh, cultural, not cultural, because Paul also says that men should not pray with their heads covered. The, kind of the opposite, right? Men should not pray with their heads covered. So for a couple thousand years, men have taken off whatever head covering they have. And if you ever go to a golf tournament that's hosted by a Christian function and everybody's got a baseball cap on, even outside, uh, now let's bow our heads and take off our hats and pray. And it happens every single time. So we're still practicing that one. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right, gentlemen. You know I'm not a control freak and I would never tell you what to do, but open your Bibles to Luke 17 right now. <laughs> Sounds good. (laughs) And the verses I want you to look at is from verse 30 to 37. And as you're paging and finding those verses, I will ask the question. The question is this. Can you explain what Luke 17 verses 30 to 37 mean? What are the vultures they are talking about? Okay. So Luke 17 is, is all end times related. Um, you have, uh, to not get into too much detail at the end times, you ha- you have to decide, is is Christ talking about the rapture of the church or the second coming in this? So it is just be like this, on the day that the Son of Man is revealed, on that day, no one who is in their roof or on their house will go inside, should go down. Like Likewise, no one in the field should go back uh, to get anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on on that night, two people will be in bed. One will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding. One will be taken and the other is left. Boy, this sounds an awful lot like the rapture. It does. Um, mm-hmm. The other view is this is a reference to the sheep and the goat judgment where God is separating out at the second coming. So depending on the context, whether or not you believe this is the rapture or the second coming, you believe that it's either one is taken up to heaven in the rapture or one is taken in judgment, because the Greek word there is more of judgment, at the sheep and the goat. Either way, both of these are two events in which God is dividing the righteous from the unrighteous, and I think in the end that's the key. The vultures, by the way... I think relate to what is called in Revelation the Great Supper of God. Now, don't confuse the Great Supper of God with the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. The Marriage Supper of the Lamb is what we will feast in the new kingdom when Christ returns at the second coming. The Great Supper of God is when all these birds gather and devour the defeated armies at Armageddon, at the second coming of Christ. So I think that's what the vultures represent here in Luke 17. is the great supper of God. I like that. Let me give a little different twist on this for what it's worth. Okay. These verses all deal with life and death issues, dealing with whether you don't know the Lord and you die both physically and spiritually, or whether you do know the Lord. The background is, of course, Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot's wife and what's going on there. The point is this. I've been in the woods a lot. I, I'm a hunter and a photographer. I've seen, not vultures, but 
The crows and other things gather over the dead bodies. Jesus is pointing out here, hey, if you aren't with me, you're like that corpse out there that the animals come and eat up. And within what's astounding, I had a friend who put out a, a camera after they, he had uh, killed a deer and the the insides were laying yep. out, put the night camera on in three days. That was completely gone. There were so many animals that came in there and birds and other things and ate that up. And I think Jesus is saying, don't be foolish. Don't put your hopes in this world. Don't put your hopes in your life. Put your life in my hands because then you don't have to worry about vultures. You're going to be with the angels. I, I agree with that. I mean, at a highest level, uh, our choice is between life and death. Yeah. And that's your point, right? It's just like Joshua. You know, I set before you today two paths, life and death choose life. And so the vultures is definitely on a, on a broad scale, a picture of death for sure. All right. Nicely done. Once again, you guys are on a roll. Good. We're having fun. I don't say that every week. Well, maybe I do. <laughs> all right. My next question I'm intrigued with as I like, I like all my questions, but this one is interesting. Does a Christ follower feel more intensely spiritually attacked before a breakthrough? Sometimes uh, I think it can occur that way. It depends upon the situation, what's going on. I know that those that have walked with the Lord Jesus a long time uh, may sense that they've got demonic pressure or they've got those things happening to them, but they call on the name of the Lord Jesus and they just plow right on through. I think for a new believer, I think that's probably pretty relevant. I think that they feel the pressure that, oh, I'm going to get in trouble for this, or, oh, people aren't going to like me, or, oh, my family's going to reject me. And the devil's good at doing that. But the question is, you know, ultimately, we still have to choose where our loyalty lies, to the truth of Jesus or the truth of our culture or the desires of our family. And as a result, it can be very difficult. So I think the demons know how to work that one and are always accusing us. And uh, I sat with a guy today uh, who's been a leader in the church, and he said, you know, I have days I question whether I'm saved or not. That's the devil working. There should be no question about that because he is right with Jesus, and we made sure of that before the, the time ended, and he knows that, but that's how the devil works. It's an interesting question if the enemy knows before you have some kind of breakthrough and and begin some kind of persecution or attack or spiritual warfare or whatever. I don't know about that, but I, I'll tell you this. In my own walk, as I have grown and have tried to live more godly and have studied the Word, when you start down that path mm-hmm. of following after Christ harder, uh, you will start experiencing more and more spiritual battle. In fact, Paul says to Timothy that everyone who wants to live a godly life uh, in Christ will be persecuted, he says. Um, so th- the more you let your light shine, the more the enemy is going to try to attack that light. That's why Christ says, let your light shine before men. I will also say this, this is, and I've heard this from many people, that if you have a uh, some kind of spiritual mountaintop experience, you know what often follows that? The valley. The valley. Yeah. Right, it's like all right. The enemy comes and knocks you off the top of the mountain, and I've heard this so many times from pastors or teachers or whatever that you have this spiritual moment, you have a spiritual high. Maybe it was a retreat, maybe it was some special Bible study or whatever, and you're feeling great. Well, 
chances are the enemy might just try to knock you off that hill. Well, the devil can't steal our salvation when we know Jesus. No. But he can sure try to make us ineffective. And I think that that is what's going on all the time for believers, that whether we have a mountaintop experience and then the valley, whether we uh, question if why is all this happening to me now when I'm trying to do the right thing, that's the devil working on us. And mm. that's where we have to keep crying out to the Lord for strength and endurance to get through it. All right, we'll take a little break. We're having a, a guy talkathon today. We're going to go <laughs> another full hour after this, so make sure you send your questions over. The best way to get them to me today is to email them, bill at myfaithradio.com, bill at myfaithradio.com. A full two hours of guide talk. We uh, buy in bulk and pass the savings on to you. We'll be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Welcome to Guy Talk, or Guys Who Talk, extended version today. Lots of time to take your questions. The best way to get them over to me today is email, please. And that would be bill at myfaithradio.com. Bill at myfaithradio.com. Power panel is Jeff Verdorn and Pastor Tom Parrish. All here, not getting compensated in any way. Tom, I just had an idea. Why don't Whatsoever. we email him some really easy questions? <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try to answer them myself. That'd be good. <laughs> All right, uh, let's see. Uh, next question up is this. This comes from John chapter 10, verses 27 and 28. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What a wonderful promise, isn't that? Yeah. I mean, we just quoted this passage in the first segment when we were talking about Romans 8:28 where it says nothing in all creation mm-hmm. can separate you from the love of God. Right. Well, the only thing not in creation is God. He's outside of creation. So nothing in creation can separate you from God, and here Christ is saying, I'm going to hold you in my hands and nothing can take you out of my hands. So that's everything out in creation and everything outside of creation holds you secure in Christ Jesus. I love that word snatch because in the Greek it's harpazo. And harpazo basically means no animal is going to come up and fight you for it and take it away. The the one who has it in their hand will defeat that. No one is going to come and seize it. There's no army that can come and draw that away. So what Jesus is saying, when you're in my hand, you're secure. Mm-hmm. And that's what we have to help people understand. My concern is I don't see a lot of Christians really understand that. I, I see too many Christians that are too worried. Have I done enough? You know, that type of thing. I think my one of my most common questions I get in my classes is this question of assurance of salvation. How can we know that we know that we know? Do we truly have assurance or not? And, uh, and and so, therefore, 
I think I bring up, I think it's one of the most important doctrines uh, surrounding soteriology, which is the doctrines of salvation, uh, that we can truly understand. And there's so many passages that declare this truth, that once you're saved, you're saved for all of eternity. For example, he says he gives you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will be with you for how long? Forever. Forever. Sounds like we have assurance of salvation. It's interesting. I had a an older evangelist who uh, was fun to be around. He was also a missionary. And I asked him about that one day. I said, you know, what about this assurance of salvation? I mean, I hear people concerned about that all the time. And he said, yep, yep, I hear that too. And he said, in the early years, I'd just go back and show him the Scripture and whatever. He said, in the last couple of years, I hope this is the Holy Spirit, because now when people say, do I have the assurance of salvation, I will ask them, what are you feeling guilty about? What are you worried about? What sin do you need to admit to the Lord Jesus and get your head back on straight? Because it's usually we're asking that question oftentimes when we're uncertain about something in our life or uncertain about something maybe in our family's life, and we want an answer that's more ironclad. Well, the ironclad answer is there in Jesus. It's just we have a tendency to look too much at who we are. You know, when I first really started studying Scripture earnestly, this question— uh, kept coming up in my own mind, and I would I would read somebody who say who would say, "Oh, we definitely have assurance of salvation," and then I'd read somebody else, "Oh, you know, that's that once saved, always saved. That's a bad doctrine. That's not biblical. That's not true." And I got tossed to and fro, as it were, between these two different views. Well, I I set this issue on my a shelf in my mind. I don't know if you have shelves in your mind or not, but it was, this was in that shelf that says, I really got to figure this out because I felt like it was really important. If we could lose our salvation, under what conditions do we lose it? Uh, five sins a day, the same sin repeated 40 days, you know, wh- what were the conditions? And if we could lose our salvation, I wanted to make sure I could would avoid that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I was reading in Scripture, and this is, by the way, the moral of this story, is the truth of our assurance I learned from the Scriptures, not from anywhere else, but from myself studying the Scriptures. And I read Ephesians 1 where it says, He has given us the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. And in my mind I thought, of course we're securing our salvation. It couldn't be any other way. And, you know, it's interesting how the devil goes to work on us and throws in all this doubt. Uh, Being the visual and kinetic learner that I am, where I need to move and I like to write things down, I have literally, with a lot of people, made up a a, a sheet that has a printing on it, and I say, hang this on your wall. If you're worried about your salvation, hang this on your wall, and every morning when you get up, pray this little prayer out loud. Jesus, I'm committed to you again today. You're my one and only Savior for all eternity. And then pray that when you go to bed. And if you do, and it's in your heart, you have nothing to worry about. Hmm. Because too often we concentrate more on what we should have done, what we didn't do, was I good enough, was I you know, bad, instead of concentrating on the shed blood of Jesus. And I know in my experience working with the, the demonic, and we don't need to go into any discussion here, but it is the name of Jesus and the proclamation of his shed blood that gets the demonic to respond, and I've seen it over and over and over again. All right, we're, we've got just a few minutes left, but I want to look at verse 27 slowly. My sheep listen to my voice. This is Jesus talking. Mm-hmm. So who are his sheep? And if you're hearing my voice right now, 
Are you one of his sheep? Mm. Are you part of his flock? Do you listen to his voice and do you know him and do you follow him? Love it. Yeah. We are the sheep. We have a shepherd. The other sheep are shepherdless according to scripture, right? So Mm -hmm. you're, we're all sheep and you either have a shepherd or you don't. Mm -hmm. And I have the good shepherd and that's who I follow. And this shepherd said to me, as he said to you, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. To hear that means I believe Jesus is telling me the truth, and I don't need to go anywhere else. That I know them line. That's so I strong, know isn't them. it? I know them. He yep. knows you. If yes. you're in Christ, he knows you. Yes. Remember what he says to the false prophets in Matthew 7? Depart from me. I never knew you. Oof. Oof. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That wraps up hour one of Guy Talk, which I've got good news for you. Hour two is just ahead, and it's a solid hour of more Guy Talk. Our Guys Who Talk, my power panel is Jeff Verdorn and Pastor Tom Parrish, and we are absolutely delighted to be doing this for another hour, and we would love your questions. So uh, anyone you have, email it over to me, bill at myfaithradio.com, bill at myfaithradio.com. I don't know how you get your day started or your week started, but... I would highly recommend signing up to get our prayer devotional email. I think you'd enjoy it. I think you'd read it and you'd go, wow, I got to share that with somebody or it's going to fill you up in a way you didn't anticipate. And you can start each week with a moment of reflection and prayer with our little Faith Radio Prayer devotional email. If you want to get it, you can sign up today at myfaithradio.com. I bet you didn't see that coming. Myfaithradio.com. We'll be right back with hour two in just a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.